Hello, I'm Sean McCangus, and this is the Highland League Podcast. Today's guest is former Turruff, Keith, and Banksy player Scott Whelan. In this interview, he talks about his time at Celtic and Inverness youth teams, adjusting to the Highland League, a successful period at Keefe, moving to America, his kidney transplant from his mum, and much more. Hope you enjoy this interview. So, first of all, Scott, what are your kind of earliest kind of memories of playing football, would you say? Well, I actually started a little Cairn Cry Community Centre in Aberdeen, just off of Murdo's. And um, just like a couple of the dads from, I think, the nursery I went to ran like a little Saturday thing when we were like five years old. Yeah, I think we just trained there. It was a yellow fuzzy football, indoor gym, kicking a ball. And then a lot of that team moved into what ended up being Middlefield Boys Club. And I think I was at Middlefield for like five, six years. And some of my, you know, my two best men at my wedding now, they were from that Middlefield days. Um, which is crazy because now I've got a young lad myself, I think, like, you know, his mates he's meeting now, I'm kind of thinking, well, could they end up being his best friends forever? It's quite a weird thought to have. And, yeah, things at Middlefield weren't working out too great. Um, so I think I took a step back and went to Glendale for a couple of seasons. Um, I've fallen in and out of love with football. And then I think I went to Glendale and I started to really enjoy it a bit more. You know, the team probably wasn't as good and, I was probably more a better player then in amongst them, whereas at Middlefield, I was probably just part of a good squad. Hmm. And then I kind of leapfrogged Middlefield and went on to Albion, um, probably about under 11s then. Um, and Albion were like, you know, winning leagues. They were up there challenging. They're a top youth club, you know, as you still are now that they're Banks of the Albion. Um, but it was John Wood, who's Gary Wood, uh, Locos. dad was the manager. Um, although Gary's a few years older than me, I think John just loved coaching. So once Gary and his team had passed a certain age, he then started again with under-11s and went back and did it again. And yeah, Albion, we had a, we had a great team. Um, won a couple of trophies here and there, but wasn't as consistent as maybe previous Albion teams. And that's kind of the early memories of how it started and how it came about. Yeah, so was there anyone in that team that kind of went on and had a decent career, either yeah. in the league or, or higher. You... Yeah, so Jordan Layden was in my team. Nick Gray was in my team. Um, Aaron Taylor Sinclair, who's now at Airdrie, was Wigan, Park Thistle, uh, many others. David Law, who will come on to, the golfer, was in that team. Yeah, I think that's all. I better not be missing anyone. In the early days, there was a couple came later that maybe played high in the league at different stages, but that was the kind of ones who were there from the early days. Yeah, so so how did you find that? Is it quite, at that age, playing at a team that's kind of winning, is there expectation or is there... Yeah, if if you if you know um, Albion and you know Banks of the Albion, they, they kind of run it like a pro youth and that, that's the way they've always done it. Um, even the young ages, you were training twice, maybe three times a week. The idea was that, you know, Albion, at the time it was between Albion and Dice at every age group. I know now, I think, I believe now there's like six different, you know, West Dykes, there's yeah. uh, Lewis United's and all these different ones, but it might it used to just be Dice, Albion, and maybe the odd West Dyke team would pop in. And yeah, we'd be going for leagues back and forth. And then there was actually a good Port Lethen side came out of nowhere as well in my age group that had a lot of big big lads as well. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was good. I played 
almost everywhere on the pitch as I've kind of ended up doing in the Highland League as well many years later. But enjoyed it. Something that the competitiveness at a young age, I do actually, I think it, it probably shouldn't be there till under 12s, 13s, but then you need to slowly kind of ramp up to the stage where people learn how to beat an opponent, how to, you know, win your 1v1 battles into the game once you get to 14-year-old, I think. In terms of that, was there a stage when you were younger you were wanting to kind of go on and pursue it, or was it kind of just one of those things you're a wee kid and you're just playing football and you're just kind of... Yeah, probably not. I know it sounds a bit crazy, but when I was probably not getting a game for middlefield under nines, under tens, you know, you, you, and that's all my friends were at middlefield, so at the time I'm thinking, oh, like, I'm not that good at football. You don't really think too much into it. And my brother, my brother had a you know an extended uh, time at Rangers, Aberdeen, um, Albion as well, and then Montrose as well in the end. So I think I always thought my brother was going to make it as a footballer. He had more of that, what I would say, more natural ability. You know, even from under eights, he was the best player in every team he played for. Whereas I was probably the type of person that I had to really work hard to to prove where I was at all times. Um, and then, obviously, the, the Celtic thing came about out of nowhere, and that's probably when I first started to take things a little bit seriously. Yeah, so how how did the Celtic kind of situation ha- happen? So um, I was it must have been probably under-13s-ish, and um, the guy, David Law, I played centre mid with him for an extended period at Albion. We were playing against um, Grammar School, and who's now a friend of mine, Reese Gray, centre-half for... St. Macker and at the time Hilton Boys Club I believe um, had told us that Celtic were coming to watch him as a centre half and David Law who was a centre mid for grammar school in a school game and I think I must have played really well um, that day and then my dad's Irish so he got the phone call like a week later from a guy called Gary Forbes who was based in, in Hilton not too far from me and he basically said look um Scott was on the radar, but you know we, we decided on Dave Law. Um, but having watched them both against each other, we felt Scott had a bit more about him, and we'd like to invite him down for for a week's trial and play a game at the end of it. I think it was so. I think the week after or two weeks later, myself, Reese, my dad, and Reese's granddad of all people, we went down. Um, I, I believe it was we went down on the Thursday, trained on Thursday night, trained on Friday night, and then stayed. If I remember right, we went to one Celtic game on the Saturday and I I don't know if it's just a young memory or not, but I'm pretty sure it was Celtic when they got beat from Clyde. You know, Celtic away to Clyde and Roy Keane was there and everything. I've got a funny feeling it was something along those lines or we were just there for the weekend. I can't remember exact. And then we played St. Mirren on the Sunday and I think we won like 3-0 or something. So Yeah, so in terms of like, how, how did you feel, you know, going on trial at such a big team at that age? Kind of surreal, um, you know. Those that, those that know me, it's it, something that I, I was never, I was never really bothered by it at all. Of like because I, I was, because I felt like I'd came from, you know, I was worse than everyone, and all of a sudden I've got a trial at Celtic. I kind of felt like a a little bit of a, you know, a grip between my teeth that I was going to prove everybody that didn't give me a game wrong. I was going to be, you know, this guy, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm on trial at Celtic, and then. Uh, Lenny Taylor, who Aberdeen youth legend, was our head teacher at school. He came up to myself in recent school and kind of said to us, oh, what are you doing going to, going to Celtic on trial? And there was no offer from Aberdeen at the time, and then all of a sudden Aberdeen were interested in wanting us, wanting us both on trial, which, you know, you're on trial at Celtic. You, you kind of turned that down at the time. 
But I was offered Celtic first um, on trial and then, you know, got asked to play till the end of the season, you know, and I ended up doing a few games for that. And I think for me, I felt like, well, they gave me the opportunity first. Before them, nobody was interested. So I, I felt like I would stick with Celtic and see it out. Yeah, so how how what was that like as an experience being there? Yeah, it was surreal. I mean, we, we turned up, I mean, me and we still speak about it every so often now, but we turned up the first day, we had tracksuits with our kit numbers on it, all brand new Nike gear. We had trainers with a green Nike tick on it. Yeah, the polo shirts. And at the time at Albion, I think we just had like a, you know, hand-me-down uh, area tracksuits or whatever it was that we had. And then all of a sudden you show up and you've got, you know, guys like Roy Keane signing that same week for the first team and you're signing for the under-14s. And, you know, we're in the hotel across the street from where he's staying in the house and everyone's kind of, you know, a little bit on edge as well because Roy Keane's coming to, to Celtic. So it was a very strange time. I think my dad was more like, you know, buzzing off at all because he's a mad Celtic fan. He's Irish. You know, meeting Tommy Burns and all these guys for him, he was he was delighted. So it was more my dad that felt it more than me. I was just there to play football. That's the way I seen it. Yeah. How, do you think that kind of maybe helped, you know, being younger that, say, you know, people at a certain age being at Celtic can be kind yeah. of daunting? I think and... it, it helps in a lot of ways. It, it helped me, especially when the ball came to my feet because I was never at that age the type that would just, you know, lash it away, which, you know, I've probably done in my later years. But yeah. in my early years, I was always the type that I liked possession football. I liked to keep the ball all the time. And it ended up being my downfall, really, because I probably passed sideways and backwards too much. Um, I was too comfortable at doing that. But, yeah, it probably helped me and then hindered me in other ways because, you know, in other ways, sometimes a bit of nerves can get you going sometimes when you're not playing well and help you through it. Yeah, so was there any kind of standout moments um, there that you recall kind of? I mean, I remember once James Forrest took the ball the length of the pitch and scored. Um, I think that was against Hibbs at home. Reese will correct me when he listens in. But um, I think we played the first team had changed a 3-5-2 and the way Celtic done it at the time, the first team changed it, so did the youth system. So we went to three five two and Jamesy went wide right of the five. And I think the, the keeper just, you know, Gordy just threw it straight to his feet and he just basically skinned the whole team and tapped it in the net himself. And he was that type of player for us. He was that far ahead of everybody else that it was crazy. Um so yeah, that's probably the biggest standard moment. We did we took a batter in five nil off Rangers once as well, and that was a star studded Rangers team as well. Who were the kind of players in that Rangers team, do you remember? Um, it was a, a kind of Rangers youth legend called Archie. I can never remember his last name. He did play like six games for Rangers and then I think he ended up not even making it. But John Fleck was like the main one. He kind of threw me about. He was, although he's tiny, he's absolutely tiny when you see him now in the Premier League. But he has been that exact same size since he was 13. So at 13 years old, you know, full beard, everything. He used to just throw boys about like nothing on earth. And uh, funnily enough, Connor Rennie, who went on to play for Vale and Locos, uh, he was playing for that Rangers team. He played that day against us. And then, yeah, a, a few others that ended up playing like for Airdrie's, Clyde's and all that. But n- nobody else re- really made it um, that that big out of that Rangers team. There there was a guy with a, you know, an East Asian name, but I can't remember his name. He played for Hibs for a while. Uh, he played for Chelsea for a little while. Uh, but I can't remember his actual name and I don't want to try and pronounce it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in terms of, is it weird kind of in terms of you played alongside James Forrest, seeing him playing at Celtic? Did you find that like a bit odd? Or 
No, to be honest with you, I, I could tell you I barely spoke five words to him yeah. when we were at Celtic because me and Reese went down and we were the Aberdeen boys mm. and we kept ourselves. And even the guys who were from, you know, they weren't all from Glasgow and Glasgow's obviously a big place. Yeah. So they tend to stick to people that they travelled with uh, and that's the, the way it was. I wasn't there, you know, for five years. I was only, you know, there for an extended period of time um, in the end. So, you know, if I was away, if I was with them for four or five years, maybe... Would have known him a bit better, but I could see right away that he was the best player. You know, you couldn't get near him in training, you couldn't get near him in games. Everything he did was perfect. And even coaches, you could tell that we were styling our whole team around getting Jamesy on the ball mm. right from minute one. So how how long were you at Celtic for? I think the initial trial games took like just over a month or so. And then they asked me, you know, so this is like right at the start of A season. Yeah. I think they asked me to finish out the season. So I was down every Friday training playing games but at the time I don't know if it was just me but I think Reese was in a similar boat for that season they were trialling probably like 8 or 9 lads and they already had a squad of 16 so although we were there we had the tracksuits and all that for an extended period I remember oh you're not coming down to this game and then the week after yeah you're coming down to this game and I think that's why the team never really gelled properly but as far as I'm aware you know Celtic basically done that at that age group different to other clubs because then they basically picked the best of you know all the players that were trialling and then we went to the next edge group. So Declan Gallagher, for example, I've met him later on in life and he was he was in that squad, but I never played with him once. And, and he was in that squad for, as a youth player, the same age as me. And uh, yeah, I never seen him once in training or, or anything like that. Unless, you know, he's went from six foot five, he was a tiny midget, but I don't remember him there at all. So... Yeah, I think all in all, it took about 14 months, 15 months. Um, and then, you know, in between games, I would go back every so often and play for Albion to fill in uh, and things like that. So it was a very strange time. And then at the end of it, didn't get offered, you know, I think they were moving to under 16s then and I didn't get offered a contract. Hmm. So how, how how did you feel at the time and, and how, how do you kind of reflect looking back at that? it's hard to really remember it all, to be honest with you. It it feels like, you know, it was just an extended trial, really. They mm. they basically, they had an under-13s or under-12s team that hadn't done great. So I think they then decided, right, we're going to send our scouts out into Scotland and find, you know, the best couple of players from each kind of youth football clubs. We're going to bring them in speed- periodically over two years. An extended trial, really and play you in a few games, and then when it gets to under-15s, make a decision on boys and give them a, a, a two-year deal, one-year non-full-time, one-year full-time. Um, Reese got a one-year non-full-time, um, and he converted from a centre-half to a striker. He was, you know, a child monster, as you'll laugh about listening to this, but that's what he was. He used to just push people out of the way, um, which is weird because, you know, now he's the opposite. Now he's more of a technical player, but as a kid, he was that player that was just a, a runner who pushed everyone out of the way and uh, yeah he stayed one year longer than me and then as I said both of us ended up at Inverness two years later anyways. Yeah so what um, did you end up going to Inverness straight after Celtic or was there a kind of period? I, th- I think there was like eight months or something I went back to Albion um, Albion were head to head with I think it was West Dyke actually for the league and I went back for the eight months trying to win the league we didn't win it um, but I went back there, I think it was eight or nine months, and then I think my last three months over there, I was on trial at Inverness Cali. So my first year at Cali, because I'd been at Celtic and stuff like that, 
they put me up with a year above myself. So I went up with um, Gavin Morrison, who was Brora, um, Stuart Leslie, Nairn, Colin Williamson, uh, a few others that are still playing. Uh, they were a year above me, but you know I, I played with them probably for about three months till end of the season. Um, a few guys from Aberdeen as well, Jamie Cromar, who played for Cooter for years in the juniors, and Michael Fletcher played for Rothis and Fraserburgh for a short spell. He's in Australia now. So I, I travelled up with them, played with them for three months, and at the end of the year I signed for Inverness and played the season with my own age group, which was my year group and the year below me then. So it was Kev Fraser was my year, and the year below me was Andy McCaskill, Stuart Armstrongs, uh, these guys like that. Yeah, so were they... In terms of like Armstrong, did you yeah. um, did you always think he was the sort of player to kind of go on and or no? Being honest with you, if I had to guess anybody was going to make it, it would have been McCaskill by an absolute mm-hmm. country mile. Um, like every training session, every game we played in, there was a small moment where you went, "Wow, what McCaskill's doing!" Because at the time, Inverness, we were probably getting beat most weeks in that youth system. Inverness had just come up from Division One at the time into the Premier League, so they decided to invest in the youth system. They brought, you know, probably 30-40% of boys from Aberdeen or north of Aberdeen. And we were getting beat most weeks because it wasn't filled with boys who were used to that academy-style, really rigid, you know, youth football, club football. The best players can do kind of what they want because the clubs can't afford to lose them. Academy football, doesn't matter how good you are, you have to play within a system and you have to change. Yeah, so. yeah, it's more about kind of adapting and stuff to different yeah. systems and being exactly that. being coached a bit more. Would you say? Yeah, I would say that, and I'd say you know, um, I don't know if Ian Polworth listens to this, but he was the manager, the clock manager for years. Um, he was the youth manager, and part of that probably would have been my downfall was that you know, <laughs> any coaches now from a high league will laugh, but I'm, I'm the type of boy that was always right, you know. I'd come in at half-time, Polworth would tell me I was out of position or something, and I'd be like, no, I'm meant to be 10 yards all right. I should have been doing this instead. And Paul would just go, you know, you're mental, Scotty. Like, I'm telling you what to do. And it could have ended up being my downfall in the end because, it, you know, I was a young boy. I didn't know anything, but you think you know everything. That's the problem. Hmm. Do you think part of that is because you 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 wanted to kind of prove yourself because you, you said in the past in terms of when you went yeah. to Celtic, it was kind of you wanted to kind of prove some people wrong. Yeah, I think so. And I think also at Inverness, because I spent, you know, just over a year there, my my first three months there when I was playing a year above myself, I was probably playing really well every week and people were probably thinking, uh, you know, I remember at the time Paul Worth um, phoning my dad and Scott Gallagher saying that, you know, Scott's going to get kept on next year. There's no doubt in our mind. He probably could have played a year above again if he wanted, but we're going to put him down to his own age group and he'll play with that age group. Um, I was playing really well at the moment. And then when I went to my own age group, it was probably my downfall because I stopped doing all the basic things and I stopped working as hard. Mm. I I loved being the underdog and I loved being that younger boy and amongst the older boys and try to prove. And, you know, I, I didn't care in training. I would go through boys. I would do whatever I needed to do. And then I went down to my own age group and I probably got really cocky and really arrogant with it. And it ended up being my downfall at the end of that season because I ended up not getting a contract for full time. Yeah. So is there anything you would particularly do differently? Kind of. Yeah. So I remember throughout that season, I'd, I'd played well throughout the season in, in spells, don't get me wrong. And, you know, I was by far, you know, middle ground, middle to high ground in my team. Um, 
Nick Ross was probably our best player at that age group at that time. He ended up playing for Inverness for years, won the Scottish Cup, now he's playing in America. Um, and I, I felt like, I remember they came to us, um, Duncan Strachan, who's actually from Aberdeen, uh, was involved in the UCL, and um, Charlie Christie, they came with the squad, I still remember it to this day, and said, look, everything you've done till now means nothing. The last five games you're going to be trialled on, and they'll decide, because when you go up to the next stage group, you'll be playing with the, the year above yourself as well. Mm. And being honest with you, I, even then, I, I remember thinking to myself, yeah, like I'll get kept on, because I'm one of the best players here. doesn't matter how I play, I'll, I'll get kept on. And then I remember I played, so they tried everyone in that five games. I think three of them were out of position. So they put you in random positions that you never played for before. And people who played high in league know that one thing I've never been blessed with is pace whatsoever. I've always been the type, I, I keep it calm, I keep it cool, and I get stuck in, but I was never quick. And I think the first or second game, I remember that we played Hearts up at Inverness. And uh, I played wide right of a 3 5 2. We always played 3-5-2 because we wanted to try and score goals, but we were also susceptible to conceding a lot because we weren't the best team. So we basically, the pit, bit in the middle of the pitch ended up being a five at the back, a three in the middle running like hell, and a two up front hopefully grab us a goal. And that was it. And I played right at the five. And I just remember the boy for hearts. Couldn't tell you if he made it or not, but he absolutely ripped me a new one, and I was terrible. And I still remember it to this day. I don't know why, but like on the pitch, you know, blaming everyone else, doing the wrong things, throwing my hands up in the air if I'm not getting the ball, do, doing all the wrong things. And now as a coach, I look back and think, what the hell were you doing? I, did, I was inches away from a full-time contract and I shot at it. And instead I ended up, you know, getting released at the end of the five games. I played up front one game, which again, I'm not a striker and I'm not as clever on the ball as I probably am now. Wide right. And then I think I played centre half, which I've done okay. And then my two games centre mid, I can't remember who they were against, but I remember saying to my dad, look, I've not played well in these five games. You know, I really haven't played well in these five games. And then it came to the end and, yeah, I didn't get signed. So uh, I moved on. Um, after leaving Cali, what was kind of the next step? And you were were you thinking of completely just leaving football? or? So know? I had um, one other offer. My, my dad's like, he didn't really know anyone in football. My dad's from Ireland, didn't know a lot of people in Aberdeen, but he was very like, you know, my dad would probably still think now of if he was fit, he'd play for Real Madrid. He was that, you know, he had that much positivity about me, um, you know, true or not. And then I think we had one other potential offer. They said Motherwell were interested. I got a scout was speaking to my dad on the phone. It didn't materialise. It was coming into like end of summer, and I had nothing. And um, so I was like probably seventeen, seventeen and a half. And at this time, I had yeah nothing. Maybe just under 17, actually. I think I would have been 17 in December, that's correct. And I had nothing. And um, John Wood, Gary Wood's dad, took over the Montrose um, youth cell, along with Kenny Black and Brian Winton, who Brian, who now owns Banks and E. Um, so Brian bought the club. Then Kenny was director of football. Kenny, who had been one of the ones who'd helped me get to Celtic in the previous years. And John Wood took on the, the youth cell and said, like, you know, John phoned me and he said, look, you know, we'd love to take you in. Um, you you'll get to train with the first team. You'll be involved in the first team, but you'll have to play youth games on a Sunday. And I said, great, because it keeps me out of trouble. You know, uh, Sunday mornings, you're up and you're away. There, there was no going out Saturday nights at this time, nothing like that. So I didn't drink. I didn't do anything like that. 
I was really focused for my, my two years um, within John's team, and we had a we had a great great team. Um, you know, uh, Keenan Adams was the goal uh, centre half. Oh, Taylor Sinclair had went there from Albion. Jordan Layden and Nick Gray had went from Albion. Um, a, a couple of others that you know ended up not playing, but very very good players that really should have went on. So if you look at our youth setup, we we played in the the league below the SPL. SPL league. So there's probably about 40 teams in that youth setup and probably about eight of them are full-time. You know, you're, you're Dundee. Um, at the time, I believe Queen's Park were full-time or a skill seeker where you'd go to college or whatever. Mm. I think we finished second our first year buying Cowden Beath, who at the time were known for having a great youth setup. And then I think Aaron got tapped up by Ross County. Didn't end up happening. Jordan Layden went on trial with Premier League Blackburn. Um so, you know, the team was getting tapped up. I was captain of the youth team. And then come the end of the first season, I was training with the first team every week under Jim Weir. And uh, I was loving it because I think my first ever appearance was from your 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 last appearance member, uh, Stuart Cumming. <laughs> I remember um, Cumming coached me last season. So we're, we're all friendly. But I still remember at this time when I came on for Cumming away at Dumbarton, right back, he like threw a wobbler. He was the best with the young boys, which is weird because he's a good coach now. But when he played, he was uh, quite bitter towards the young boys. So how did you find in terms of playing for the, the first team and adjusting to that? Obviously, you were kind of used to youth football. Was it a big step up for yourself? or? Yeah, I think, similar again, I had this attitude where, oh, I've been at Inverness. Oh, I've been at Like I should be able to play with these guys. But then when you actually take back and look at it and you look at the team that they had, you know, John Baird was up front. He'd been full-time all his life up until that point. They were second in the third division at the time. You know, they were paying big money um, for players. So to even be training with them, they were they were essentially, you know, uh, what would now be a Scottish League One team. And I was training with them, you know, once a week, I think, twice a week with my own team, once a week with them. And then I think, yeah, I made... That season for Jim Weir, I think like two appearances off the bench. And then the next year in preseason, I think me, Aaron, a guy called Mark Russell, Keenan Adams, got to do uh, preseason with the first team. And uh, a guy called David Hanna, who ended up playing for for Martin for a very short spell, came in as manager and David made it quite clear that I was going to be part of his plans for the first team, uh, me and Mark at the time, I believe. And I was delighted. And then we're about two weeks into the season and David Hanna knocks out a fan on the touchline and gets a sack. Uh, so it, it didn't go too well for, for David Hanna and then he went to Fromartin after that. So it was quite a strange... I was in amongst the first team. I had a manager that you know had intentions of you know every week taking me off the bench, doing the odd bit here and there. And yeah, two weeks later, he's gone. So so what happened? What, yeah, so I think... We, I can't remember. I think we were playing our both in a, in a derby match. And I think we got beat. Fan was giving him a bit of lip. I think he actually just went to like push the, the guy, like, and he, you know, they're both having a little tussle. It got broke up. And then the next day in the paper, it said that David Hanna punched a fan and he walked away. Um, he, I think he left. But it was weird because he was a good coach and he was a good manager. But I think he just had that fuse that day or whatever was going on in his personal life that just lost the plot. So, yeah, because he did he not end up in America or? Uh, yeah, he's been he's been all over because he played you know quite a lot of games for Celtic and Dundee in his career. He's kind of floated about and been able to do what he wanted. And his experience at Montrose was great. He wanted to play a little bit as well. But then Stephen Tweed came in, um, ex Hibs captain for ten years, 
And we went up to Keith, actually, and we played in Keith's summer tournament that used to have, you know, a lot of good teams in it. And I think I played two out of the three games in the Keith tournament for the first team and being delighted. And after the second game, I remember uh, Tweedy came in and gave me an absolute, like, roasting. You think you're better than you are, you know. I think he, looking back now, he's probably testing my character. But at the time, I just remember thinking, oh, like, he doesn't like me, like, all this. And then I think they got beat, I think it was 5 or 6 nil in the first game of the season, and he banned all youth players training with the first team. So he went to, like, a strict 15-man squad. And for the next, like, four months, I didn't even get a look in. I was only signed on, like, amateur forms as well. I wasn't even getting paid. So, like, I was not getting to train with the first team. I was back down playing with the youths all the time. And then I think I left back Eddie Pope, uh, who played for Dundee United, broke his leg. And Aaron Taylor Sinclair went straight in. And Aaron, one of the most hardworking guys I know in football, he just kicked on, just got better and better and better. He grew about two feet as well, which probably helped him. Uh, but he just got better and better. Uh, training with the first team made him a better player. You know, he's seen that, okay, these guys are better than me, but I'm going to be better. Whereas I've seen it as, oh, I'm already better than these guys when I probably wasn't. So a bit of a different attitude. And then Stephen Tweed made it clear to me that I was not part of the plans um, to train with the first team. I was still only 18 at this point. So like, you know, to play in the under 20s for them, I still had two years of doing it. So regretting now, I've heard a few guys on the podcast say they've got no regrets, but for me, I've got a lot. Because at that point there, I probably should have just got my head down. But I tried to like organise moves to other clubs. I tried to get away. Um, and I ended up going up, uh, just training with Peterhead and Aberdeen instead of travelling down to Montrose every week. Yeah, so was there any kind of other options that you possibly could have went to? or? Yeah, so I spoke to George Adams um, at Ross County. And they they'd basically said that, you know, the contract, although I wasn't getting paid, because I was on a pro youth contract, they would have to pay compensation. And George basically said, we beat County, our youth system. County did not have a good youth team. And um, he basically said, look, you'd probably play with us, no doubt in my mind, you'd play in our youth team. But we wouldn't pay for an 18-year-old to get out of his contract at Montrose unless he was the type of player that was playing every week in third division. And he's right, you know, looking back at it now, would I have paid to get... Five grand, ten grand to get somebody out of the contract? No. Looking back, if I was Montrose, would have I let let myself go for nothing? Probably yes. Um, which they ended up doing, but it was probably about six months too late. So, in, in terms of once you left, um, kind of Montrose, what what, yeah. what were you think? What was your kind of state of mind in terms of football at that point? So I trained with Peterhead with uh, the late Tati. And Andy Dornan, who I still speak to now, and uh, they basically said, look, like, we'd like to try and put you on, like, one-month loans to a couple of teams, but, you know, you don't need to sign with us because we've got a couple of teams um, that we loan to every season, and and there's no problem. You train with us twice a week, you play for our 20s, and you just go play juniors or you play Highland League. So I went to Turriff for an emergency loan for a month, um, played um, with Dave McKenzie and, you know, Turriff's first season at Highland League, I believe. So I played three or four games there under Chris Hunter. And then I went to Dice for probably three months uh, at Dice. And I enjoyed it. And then I think after that, I think I wasn't... They wanted to loan me out for a full season, but I'd actually just got a job that had me travelling quite a bit. My first proper job, it was an apprenticeship where I was working down in uh, our broth at the time for a year, but only Monday to Friday. So they put me up in digs Monday to Friday and then I'd come home on a Friday night. So I had no time for training. 
and then I'm getting home late on a Friday night. You know, no team's going to play you if you've not trained. So I ended up taking, yeah, basically two years out of football, you could say, or 18 months out of football. I played for the odd team. I played for East End for a month because my brother was there. But I didn't actually sign with anyone uh, that season. I just kind of floated about, and it was probably the worst thing I'd done. Even if I'd played amateurs, I should have done it because that 18 months out of football, it, it killed me. It really did. Do you think if you'd had that spell of, you know, playing somewhere more regularly in that point, do you think that might have kicked you on in terms of getting yeah, back maybe. to like a Montrose or kind of that sort of? Yeah, because so it's hindsight and it's karma for myself because I was at Montrose. If I'd been there, then training would have just been, you know, 10 minutes along the road when I was living in Arbroath. But because I'd kind of, you know, made it a bit sour there, there's nothing I could do. Um unfortunately so because they seen it as the captain of their youth team just walking away you know that that was what they seen as i seen it as oh i want first team opportunities now but really i was 18 you know there's plenty of time and realistically about six months later half the first team got released martin boyle came in you know a ton of other youth players come in who ended up making it so maybe it's just you know a lesson to some young lads you don't need to play every week at 18 you need to be involved in a first team but still playing youth football or out on loan in the juniors is absolutely fine. Yeah. So in terms of once uh, you obviously went on to play for like Banks of D, how did that come about? Well, um, I don't think it'll come up on my forms, but I think through my uncle, Graham Park, who is Cove assistant manager, Peter Head assistant manager, Daniel Park's dad. Um, yeah, I think he'd basically mentioned to Jim Cheen and Dave McGinley at Huntley that I wasn't playing anymore. And I'd played against them for Montrose um, in a friendly literally six months before it, or 18 months before it. And Jim had said to me, we're taking back over at Huntley. Why don't you Why don't you come come in? So I said, okay, I met them up at Hazelhead. And Dave McGinley was away for like, I think it was like six weeks or something over pre-season. So Jim was doing the full pre-season, played in the first two pre-season games, centre half at, yeah, 20-year-old. And I was flying. I was playing really well. Um, really enjoyed it. And... You know, me and Jim were getting on great and everything was fine. They they signed me, uh, being honest with you, they gave me very good money for a 20-year-old. Um, and then Dave McKinley came in. He They then went and spent a bit of money and got some players in and all of a sudden I wasn't playing. After, I think, two games in the season, they then said, we want to loan you out for a season um, into the juniors. And I, I then said, no problem. Easy to get loaned out. And they said, but you don't get paid from us while you're there. And I said... Yeah, I, I said, well, that doesn't really sit well with me because you've given me this contract, like, you know, and outside of it, I I, I bought a car, I bought, you know, uh, I, I kind of based on, I was getting this money per month, you know, it's in your bills. And um, basically they then said, like, look, you've either got the choice. We played Banks Arena Scottish Cup on the Saturday, Banks Arena beat us. I didn't, get, didn't even get on because there was a little bit of conversations going back and forth, but we'd played Banks Arena summer in pre-season and I'd played really well. So then I kind of left it for a week and just trained. And then Dave McGinley came in and said, look, Banksley have made an offer. They're going to, you know, um, give you the same wages and they'll buy you outright. And I was like, right. I, I was wondering why Banksley were interested. And then I realised that Brian Winton had bought over Banksley. He had left Montrose. They bought over Banksley. So, yeah, it was probably three games into that season. And then Banksley just bought me. And I went straight in. And the worst thing possible, the captain was injured and the vice captain was injured playing Hermes who were you know going for the league at the time 
and I was 20 year old and I came in and the managers made me captain on the first day and it didn't go down well because then I didn't play well if my first game at Bagsary went terribly um, against Hermes and then I was never captain for them again uh, but I was only 20 I don't think I should have been captain but I think that start of the season Bagsary had a rough start of the season they're wanting you know, a bit of fresh meat to, in to help out their captain Danny Tritton at the time was injured so I just went straight in so yeah yeah, so what, what, what was it like in, in the juniors? Was it a bit of a shock to the system or not really? Yeah. I think, again, that ultimately became my downfall. I became one of those guys that, you know, even though I was 20, you know, like I remember we were three weeks into the season, we got beat, and um, we turned up on the Monday and we were just doing the bleep test. And Baxley had this brand new AstroTurf, and in my eyes, we weren't getting beat because we weren't fit enough. And at the time, I was a reasonably fit guy. You know, people will laugh about that now because... I'm an absolute disgrace in preseason over the last five years. But before, I was a reasonably fit guy. Um, and I used to, you know, I, I remember asking one of the coaches, why the hell are we doing the, the bleep test? You know, we've just done a full preseason. We're four weeks, five weeks in. What's going on here? And um, it was just a bit of a shock because, you know, in the juniors, I felt like at the time, the coaches that we had didn't look at why we got beat. They just instantly went, right, you're running Monday. You know, but there was probably reasons why. And, now that my coach, I still think in that manner. I think, well, why did we get beat on Saturday? Is it because boys weren't trying? Probably not. It's probably because, you know, they had a certain area isolated or positioning was wrong, things like that. You know, it's not always down to just a pure running hardness on it. Hmm. Do you think back then maybe people got into a bad habit of assuming it was fitness and didn't look at the kind of bigger picture? Yeah, and it's it is still there now, but I get it because it's a little bit of a punishment as well, you know. But no one goes in a Saturday hoping to get beat, you know. The, the guys, and I do feel like the fittest team normally does well um, as well. You will get your team do better if they're fit. But it, it was just not something. And at, at the time, I wasn't enjoying the coaching at Banksy. I felt like the coaching wasn't great. Um, so, you know, I've played the whole season, played pretty much every week, and we went to the Highland League Cup final. And we beat Aberdeen team in including, you know, Ryan Fraser, Jamie, Jamie Massey, Jamie Masson, sorry, Clark Robertson, Jordan Brown, all these guys. We beat them on the way. We beat Turriff. We beat Bucky as well. We beat somebody else on the way. And then we played Brock in the final up at Peterhead. And the Brock beat us, I think, 5-1 in the final. Um, but, you know, I think I did three cup finals at Banks Arena. I lost all three. <laughs> um, so now last year when I seen... You know, Neely Allen was the last one left last year. They won all five trophies. I was absolutely, you know, spewing watching them win every trophy. But uh, they seem to gub. They seem to gub high only teams. I mean, before they got promoted, yeah, they, they were gubbing them in the cup. To be honest with you, it was probably about a C- yeah, just after I left, they started having this winning mentality. So that tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> uh, um. So what what is it like seeing how? how much Banksy has transformed over kind of the years and now they're in the, in the Highland League? It's definitely changed in a lot of ways because, you know, when, when I was there, with the respect to the, the coaches that we were, were uh, Doug and Kev Will, and at, at the time, they they kept their, you know, scouting network to players that they knew. And they also always looked to bring in guys that they'd previously coached. Like That was like their aim. Was to, They had this opinion that any player that came from the Highland League must be better than what we've got. And it doesn't seem to be the case, actually, and it probably still isn't the case now that Highland League players aren't automatically better than what you've got. You know, the Cooter team right now that just won four trophies, 
they've probably got a number of boys that could go and play at a half decent Highland League level. Yeah. Um, so in terms of when, obviously you were there and then you end up um, going to the, the Highland League, what was kind of your first experience? Obviously you were at Huntley, but in terms of... Yeah. So Keith, I mean, I went to Ellen with my mates for five months or something. I didn't enjoy it. And then I went to Keith. But Keith originally, still he was interested uh, when he was the manager. Uh, I was signed up by somebody, but I said I'd be keen if they were willing to buy me. I think then a couple of months later, still he knew he was leaving, but he hadn't told anyone yet. He then left, McBeath took over and signed me, and yeah, it was crazy. Um, so I signed on the Wednesday night, and I told McBeath, I said, I've not played in three weeks, I'm a little bit you know, off it right now. I said, but you know, I, I'd still keep the ball, I'm a setter mid, and I just keep the ball, and that's how I play. And he was like, yeah, I've seen you a few times, I like how you play, it's fine. Turned up on the Saturday, Forrest had won the league the year before, or two years before it. Um, and I was playing left back. <laughs> and I just remember, like, I think I played all right, but I just remember thinking at the time, like, oh, like, the fitness levels are better, the pitches are bigger, you know, Kynick especially. Um, just the overall quality is better in the Highland League. It doesn't mean every player is, but the overall quality, players are fitter and they're more committed than the juniors. Yeah, so how, how did you find playing under him? What was he like as a manager? Yeah, McBeath was a really... Great guy, tremendous guy, but a strange guy to have as a manager. He's probably, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but he done well at Bucky as an assistant. And I, I feel like he is an assistant if he steps up the leagues. You know, he's quite quiet, good at coaching, but keeps himself to himself. Sometimes a manager, you need him to, you know, speak to the boys, tell them through it. You know, you'd turn up at Monday in training, and his training would be good, but if he doesn't bring that energy, that buzz to training, then sometimes it falls flat. He, did, he shouted the odd time, but being honest with you, I was never that that manager where I thought, oh, I don't I don't really want to get on the wrong side of him. I seen him as a really nice guy and a great manager that you could go and speak to about personal stuff and yeah. a great man, man-to-man type guy. But on a Saturday, if we were, you know, not at it or training was a bit slow in tempo, sometimes he wouldn't bring that energy. He'd be like, you know, try and get your boys buzzed for it. That's why I always fell anyways. Yeah. Um, so how, how did you find that first, like, wee while at Keith and again of adjusting to the league. It's a strange season because we still had Jerry O'Driscoll, Murray McCulloch, Rafa, uh, Murray Kinnaird in goals. So there was a legacy Keith team that had won trophies there before. And but being honest with you, Jerry and Murray won't mind me saying this, they were coming to the end of their careers. So realistically, you know, we we're probably in a really bad transition phase where we were we were getting beat most weeks. We finished fourth bottom, I think. Lossy, Strath and Fort finished below us. So out of that pack between Keith Huntley, Wick and all those guys, that's the worst. You don't want to be that fourth bottom team at the time uh, because realistically, teams below you. In fact, actually, Fort, Lossy, Strath and Rothis were poor at the time. So we're fifth bottom. But you don't want to be that that fifth bottom because out of that team below us, none of them were investing money. We still had a little bit of investment. Mm. Um, so yeah, it was a tough time to be at the club, but some of my best memories in football are from that that little while at the club um, because we're a team that, you know, we, we had the, probably the best team spirit I've ever seen. At that point in the team, we had some laugh, we had, you know, trips away together and all that, and we just, we steadily got better as time went on, which was the good thing. Hmm. Do you think that helps in terms of togetherness? Because you said at our, obviously, yeah. youth team days, um, 
they weren't really it was like people from coming from elsewhere and yeah you didn't really have a unit in together yeah 100 percent, it helps because I, I remember for example cove um cove we were like you know cove were going through a small transition themselves they weren't as great for a couple of seasons but they were still top four team and they came to Kynick one Wednesday night and I think we beat them 3-0 which was a massive shock result and I, I'm fully convinced we only beat them that day because we just had this buzz about us at the time we went through a six or seven week spell where we had a little bit of a buzz about it but still remember that game so well because um, I was playing right back Hutchie was playing centre half Eric Watson put himself up front Hutchie clears the ball his boot comes off Eric picks up and just throws it over into the garden across from the stadium. Hutchie's walking about with no no boot. It's over the fence. And he's saying to the ref, what the hell's going on? He's threw my boot over the fence, but Eric just stands there, didn't touch it. I didn't move his boot. So we've got to play with 10 men for like 10 minutes while Hutchie goes in and gets his boot. It's it, Honestly, it sounds like amateur stuff, but it's hilarious to think back to it now. And it, It's one of them, you know, Eric was the perfect evil character in the Highland League, and I speak to him now, and he just like played that part so well, where he knew how to wind people up, but he was willing to take it at the same time. Yeah, how how it it, it makes it a bit more interesting having characters like that on the pitch. Yeah, one hundred percent. And we had a lot of big big players up against Martin Bavich was in the league that year. Gary Wood was in the league that year. Eric Watson was playing up front that year, and I was playing. We played three at the back for a little while, and I was right at the three. Jesus, you were up against some Mealers. Yeah, so what so what was it like play playing out um against them, like Bavage and stuff? I actually prefer that. So against the, the bigger heavier heavier lads, you know, I've got a fat arse myself, so sticking sticking the arse in and getting a bit of a tussle, I, I quite enjoy that to be honest with you. I, I don't mind that at all. It's the small quick players that really give me the bother. That that, that was my biggest downfall of all time is I'm just near quick across the grass. So every time, you know, Johnny Smith, for example, I always quite liked playing against Johnny. He's a great player, tremendous player. But Johnny would just play right up against your chest. And I, I would know where he is at all times, and it would just be a fight. And if he bullies you and gets a goal, like, I, I didn't feel as bad. But when you physically can't get there because somebody's too quick, it, it would annoy me more. Uh, did you not get in the habit of just kicking certain players and then they'll just stop? Because you don't uh, have noticed. Depends, had some, like, my, even my cousin, Daniel Park, he used to kick absolute lumps to him, but he's actually quite a strong boy to be playing out wide. And Scotty Barber's quite strong playing out wide. You know, Sam Uckert's reasonably strong playing out wide. And when Xander Sutherland, Andrew Gregg in that season scored about 80 goals. So, yeah, it was um, it was a t- tough year to be a right right centre-half or a right-back for a season. Yeah, I feel, I feel like now there's certain players where you see them getting a kick in and then they just stop. It's, yeah, annoyed that's, that's the younger boys. The guys who are my age didn't do that. They just kept going. They'd laugh it off. So yeah, it's uh, definitely changed. Hmm. So was there any kind of our like, favourite memories at, at that time at Keith? would you say? Yeah, I mean, it, it's probably not mentioned enough. But it, so McBeath actually left, like, you know, after a game once, or it was before a game, to be honest with you. Um, but I won't go too much into that. And uh, Jim um, and Boogle took over, Gordon Winton, who was an ex-Forest manager, and they really turned the club around from a club that was a little bit down in the dumps. The players had a togetherness, but the club was kind of struggling a bit. And, yeah, Jim and Boogle, they, they really just... You know, Jim Stables was Sandy's brother, mm. and they really turned the club around. They really did. They... They had us, we basically just said to everyone, look, we're going to be the dirtiest team and we're going to outwork everybody. 
because we don't have good enough players. Hmm. And I think we, we ended up like ninth that season under them two. And I think I played probably, you know, 34 out of 36 games. I think I played under them two. I loved it. It was probably the most enjoyable season I've had in football was that season. Yeah. So in terms you, me- you mentioned Jim Stables. What what was he like? Uh, so Jim, he had the most chukter accent I've ever heard in my life. Um, but he, he told us, look, like, you're going to show up on a Monday and you're going to do, you're not going to do long distance boring running. You're going to do sprints till your calves and quads hurt. And then we're going to do possession and you're going to get home early. So you'd leave every Monday and you'd be absolutely fucked, to be honest with you. However, you'd be home early. And I think I think he got the boys on his side then because he just said to us, look, you come, you do the dirty work in your home. Because at the time, we trained up in Keith for a short spell as well. And we had a mini boss and we took it up. And I think they really got the boys on side by saying, look, we're going to absolutely beast just for 30, 40 minutes here. We're going to do 20 minutes of possession for, to get you a touch. And then you start doing the road. So you were an hour and 10 minutes and we trained way less under Jim and Bugle, but we went up the league. Mm. And it just shows you, you know, that long distance running doesn't have to be everything. Short sprint work really made a difference to us. We were quick, we were athletic at the time and we became dogged, really dogged. Remember our first game of the season, we played Cove at Banks of E because Cove didn't have a pitch. And I remember if it wasn't for a Daryl Nickel hat trick out of nowhere, we absolutely battered them, I feel, for like 70 minutes, which at the time, Cover winning the league year in, year out. Mm. Mm. So how, how important was that in terms of doggedness, in terms of against teams like Cove and stuff? and kind Because I feel yeah. like at times teams have maybe been guilty of giving your broras in the past or Cove at some point too much respect. Yeah, one hundred percent. I still remember we went up to we went up to Brora third game of season. So Brora and Cove went for the league the season before, and Brora ended up winning it, scoring a ridiculous amount of goals, which I believe is maybe still the record or Bucky have it now. And we went up there, and Brucey Milne scored in the first ten minutes or something like that. And Brora, you could tell how frustrated they were getting. They're passing it back and forth in their back four, and every time it came into the middle of the park, me, Brucey, or Hamish Ritchie, who's now with Peter Head. We're in there and we were just fighting for everything. Absolutely everything. And we had a really tight net where we'd force balls out wide. And as soon as they went out wide, we would just foul. <laughs> and and we thought, we will, we'll deal with the corners. We'll deal with the crosses because we were dogged. We had Dunner came in at centre half. Brucey e. Milne moved into centre mid. And we had Mike Rolton, um, Craigie Cormack, who was a big lad. You know, we had a, a team, Daniel Bell in goals, who's you know, one of the best keepers I've seen in the league. Most underrated for sure. And we didn't concede from any set piece. So we just thought as soon as somebody gets wide, we'll just foul them. We'll let them put it in because we'll deal with it. And I think, you know, Brora beat us on the day 2-1, I think it was. But the season before, we got beat 9-0 from Brora. So it tells you everything you need to know about how we transformed in six months. Were you in the team that um, when um, Heath got beaten by Brora to clinch their first league? Were you in the Yeah, I played side? that day. It's on it's on YouTube. Yeah, 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 I was at that game. I was yeah, so... using the pitch and stuff. Um no, but it seemed to I mean, I remember that game and Daniel Bell was just outstanding. I mean, oh, unbelievable, I remember, yeah. He's one of those keepers you always wonder. I mean, he was at Bucky, obviously. Yeah. You always wonder why why doesn't he why didn't he go on and play for Peter Head or you know Yeah, exactly. Like he definitely was good enough. He was he was one of them that he was no nonsense. He was big. His kicking was good. His shot stopping was unbelievable. He he really was underrated in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think apart from Kevin Main, I don't think Bucky's had had a keeper as good as him. I would say. 
Yeah, and I think that was Bell's downfall is that he was number two to Mainzer for probably too long. He probably should have left earlier and went out and played. And you know, he came to Keith, and after a couple of seasons at Keith, I believe that any team in the league would have wanted him that didn't, you know, have a number one. He'd have been first choice to try and buy. Yeah. Did you, um, what was it like playing against Ross Tokley? Because I remember that season was so bizarre seeing him, in, especially yeah. in that game, seeing him sprint down the line. And I was thinking, I was like, am I seeing things or <laughs> bizarre? Yeah, so they had Ross Tokley played right back and I played right back on the diagonal opposite. And I just remember that game for like 90 minutes. All he done was just touch and diagonal over my head. And I just used to have to file and, foul Andrew Gregg on the touchline. Yeah. It, so on the on the YouTube you can see, you know, Daniel Bell clears six and just see me leaning against the post, breathing extremely heavily. <laughs> uh, but that kind of brings I mean, those sort of games must be good to an extent in terms of it challenges you because Yeah, one hundred percent. It it made me it, being honest with you then, like it made me because I, I was decent at right back, but I always felt like I was better centre mid. But that first season when Brora won the league, I played right back the majority of it. And, yeah, it made me a better player. It certainly made me, you know, better at using my body, getting across boys like Andrew Gregg, Zanz, you know, boys like that who were they were a little bit on the weaker side, but they were quicker, they were good at dribbling. Mm. So I just to get my body in. And being honest with you, I think I had a, a decent season my first year. Yeah, so um, moving forward a, a wee bit, um, what was it like in terms of when Alan Hale kind of came in? So, yeah, quite strange for me. So I had... I was, Jim and Bugle were still in charge. Locos had came in for me. Um, I believe that Keith weren't really willing to entertain it. Um, but they asked me where you wanted to go. And I knew in the back of my head, I hadn't told Keith yes yet, but I was away to go to Saudi Arabia for like 10 weeks on a work trip. So I just said to him, look, not interested. I'm wanting to stay. I played for another three weeks. And I think I went to training on a Wednesday and I just told Bugle, look, I'm going to Saudi for 10 weeks. And he was like, when? And I goes, Friday. And I just said, it's my work. There's nothing I can do. I, did, I knew for months, but I didn't want to tell them because I wanted to play right up until. Hmm. And I went away. And I actually, before I joined that new company, I sat right next to Alan Hill at work. He was like two booths over from me. Didn't really know him that well, but sat in the same building. And um, yeah, I was away like probably 10 days, maybe 15 days, and Alan takes over. And I was like, oh, for God's sake. And then while I was away, all I seen was like, Keith sign this player. Keith sign this player. And I'm like, oh, oh shit, here we go. Like, So I came back um, and for the first year, I think I came back probably with about three or four games to go and then a way to go into a preseason. Um, so, yeah. So I played, I think I played one or two of the games and then we went into a preseason. And then the next season, as you know, we, we really kicked on as a club under Alan. We, it was high tempo. The training was better. We had a little bit more investment as well in the playing squad. We had a squad. We, I remember I was on the bench second game, and it's quite infamous amongst that Keith squad because I was. I, I remember I played really well up until this point, and then I, I came on a Wednesday night. We played Bucky, and I was dropped, and I remember being like, what the, f-? like, raging, throwing stuff at the changing room. And then... Um, and I remember looking at the bench at that time and we had, you know, the whole bench was filled with boys that were proper, you know, top six, I thought, maybe Highland League players. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, once these guys get one or two years older, we'll, we'll be a top six side if we could keep the squad together. No, it just, I remember watching um, that team quite quite often. Um, yeah. It just seemed to have a fearlessness against teams. It was like, 
it used to be, you know, probably times go by or um, that Keith and teams like that were scared when you played your promotions yeah. and stuff, and it seemed you seemed to kind of nothing feared, nothing feared. Yeah, we got we got a couple of boys in that really changed the mentality as well. I mean, Craigie Cormack grew into this, you know, professional athlete almost, and um, which helped. And then we brought in, you know, Luke Barber mm, came well, in and played in the ten, and you know, you know what we had for the first time in my my Highland League career. We had this this guy that sometimes Daniel Bell would just take it and throw it straight in the middle of the park. Luke would have three boys around him against Brora or Cove or anyone, and he'd find his way out. So every time Luke got the ball, you felt like before Luke, we had boys that you got the ball and you thought, well, I make a run forward, probably not because he might lose it. When Luke got the ball, everyone just charged forward because we knew he was going to find a pass or get himself out of trouble. He was that good compared to everybody else, in my opinion. Yeah, you always wonder if players like that... Should be playing at like a higher Highland League club. Yeah, Luke, Luke just didn't care. He he, he re- literally he liked football. Even in training, we'd do a warm up together. He'd do his own warm up. He kept himself to himself. He's a great guy, tremendous guy, but he just didn't he didn't care that much about football. You know, he he's a policeman. He worked shifts, things like that. So he he did miss a bit of football here and there as well. So I don't think he cared that much. But he was great, tremendous player. Mm. And obviously you went on that kind of winning run under that. What what was that like being part of that? Yeah, it was weird because at the time the squad was so competitive that people were coming out in and out every second week. I mean, I think besides Luke, the rest of the team were getting changed all the time. And I think that's a sign of a good team. Um, as long as, you know, everyone's getting their fair chance. Yeah. Um, I think it's fine. I, I got, you know, I got in for like six, seven weeks. We played Banks Arena Scottish Cup. Um you know, played that game. Um, I went on a run of scoring, you know, three or four free kicks in a row in a week uh, in four games back-to-back. And then it went completely dry till the end of the season, finished the season with like four goals. But um, we, we just had that mentality. Like sometimes I just remember, and the guys who are at the top league might laugh about this, but this is how their teams must be all the time because we, we were coming into training and boys were getting angry every time, you know, we lost the ball. Every time we lost in training, Boys were fuming, and if you lost in turn, you had to do runs. We had this competitive edge, you know. I remember we played Bucky, and we Bucky won the league that year, and we battered Bucky. And I remember us coming off, and we're all absolutely devastated that we've just lost to Bucky. And at the time, Bucky won the league by, I think they won it two weeks to spare against Cove, or one week to spare against Cove, and um, when John McLeod went on that run. And you look back and think, wow, we we were disappointed about getting beat by you know a top 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 team. When really we we had a team still that had Hutchie had been there since he was a youth player, Mike Rolton was you know thirty four thirty five, you know we had a team that had maybe just been developing over the years and not splashing the cash really like the big boys had been. Hmm. So do you think? I mean, you you said it earlier, but you think if that team kept together, you'd be challenging up near the top end? Yeah, one hundred percent. If you look at you know we brought in Cami Keith just when I left um, to go to America, which we'll come on to, but. You look at Donny Fraser at the time was flying on left wing. We had Craigie Cormack on right wing, and then we had Craig McCaskill off the bench. Who at the time was so quick, he was a great impact player to have. Luke Barber in the ten, and then we had Sam Pugh, Hamish Ritchie, mm-hmm. myself, Brucey Milne, yeah, uh, Daniel Bell in goals. I mean, you, you look at it and you look at that squad and go, well, that's a top six squad potentially. And but the problem was, I think, and Alan will admit this now. 
even quite early on, you know, the team was going great and Ireland started away, kept looking to add a couple other players, a couple other players. And he maybe added one or two too much in the end that ended up, you know, breaking up the, the competitiveness that we had because boys felt like, now I'm not even making a squad here. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm going up to Bro and I'm sitting in my suit and tie. What's going on? You know, mm. so I think then it became a little bit more of a bitterness amongst the, the team. And it, it, that was after I left, but I believe that's how it ended up getting ruined in the end. And Alan will admit that now. Yeah, so it, in terms of, obviously, you moved out to America to do your yeah. work, yeah? Um, yeah, yeah. So how, how did you find moving out to America and stuff? Yeah, it was quite strange. So basically, the job I did in Saudi, they were part of like a large project team. Then the project team were moving to America to do another project. Um, I got offered to go. It was initially on a six-month basis. The money was good. Um Lifestyle had never been to America at this point. And I, I think I took the decision where I was 24 then. You know, I wasn't, I was playing in and out the team, in and out the team, you know, we were doing well. But then I think three weeks before I made my, or the week before I made my decision, Keith brought in Scotty Begg. And Scotty Begg and me are very similar players. Like, you know, almost you could say like for like that, you know, deep line midfielder a little bit tenacious, and then just keeps the passes, likes to keep the passes simple. And I thought, we've already got me, we've got Rafa, and now you're bringing in a third member. Now Sam Pugh and Hamish are getting better and better. I'm seeing myself as going, look, am I as committed as these boys now to keep going? Or do I take this great work opportunity and end up taking the work opportunity? Yeah. Um, so in terms of, um, were you always kind of looking to play football out there when you were yeah, it was kind of one of the first things I'd done because so because it was only initially six months, I never took my then fiance out with me. Um, I just went out on my own, so I didn't really know anyone. So initially, I was just like, right, I'm going to find a team. I played fives with a team, and then he was part of an expat team. Um, so I actually played fives against uh, Chris Nidry, who ex Keith uh, and all those, and I speak to him now. But yeah, they were part of an expat team who were a very good junior team at the time. So they had uh, over 35s and under 35s. So I also played for the under 35s and they were a very, very good team. Yeah. So what what was it like there in terms of, you know, f- football? Did people take it as seriously as... Not not the, the juniors, you could call it over there. They, they didn't take it as seriously with training and stuff like that. But like they had that many players that if you weren't up to it, then you wouldn't play. And that's the way it was, you know. And then, like, halfway through the season, um, a USL2 team reached out to me, asked me to play, uh, Albion Hurricanes. So I think I spent the last half of that season training with them. I played probably six or seven of the home games for them, but the away games were, like, 10-hour bus journeys, 8-hour bus journeys, and I was working, so I just didn't do that. It was a mix between, like, older guys like myself and younger guys who were still trying to make it pro. That's what it was in the USL. Yeah, so what 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 was the standard like? Hard to tell because, you know, oh, I mean, even at my expat team, we had Andy Driver, who won the Scottish Cup of Hearts, like some good players in there. But the USL2 was weird because some of them technically were amazing players. They're all from Colombia, Mexico, Ecuador, all these random yeah. places, Brazil. Uh, they were amazing technically, but positionally, they're probably all very selfish because they're all so hungry to make it that they all want to look like the superstar all the time. You know, they dribble all the time. But yeah. they always play out from the back, so which suited me, you know, all the time. They never went long once, which suited me down. Yeah. So what? What? how did you adjust to, say, playing in the heat? Because 
Yeah, that was the, the killer. So I played centre half because I, I wouldn't have been able to play centre mid there. And <laughs> it's funny because like we, we had this thing where we had a, a guy, uh, a left wing guy, Sylvester. He was extremely fast, like faster than any player I've ever seen in the Highland League. You know, typical, you know, African American athlete, like could run. And um, I played right centre half and I used to keeper would just roll it to me and pretty much although no teams went long we did it like four or five times a game I was just touching Diag straight to Sylvester and we scored like yeah eight times out of ten with it so it, I, I loved playing over there I actually I preferred their style of football and their attitude towards football to ours and it was a lot better standard than people think yeah do you, do you feel it's people kind of slip into the stereotypes that um yeah, one hundred percent. Especially where I was in Houston, it was all South Americans, so there wasn't really that, you know, American soccer guy coach. It was all yeah. Hispanic people that had played at a good level. You know, um, you know, one of one of the guys that played for us, he he had played for two teams in in Portugal uh, full time, then played in the MLS. He was an Ecuador captain for like eight years, played mm-hmm. in a World Cup. You know, and he was playing for us. So there there was a mixed bag of people that were just. Houston's in a massive city who tend to be in Houston. So you ended up getting, you know, a good team. Yeah. So um, in terms of, did you ever have like opportunities to go higher level or? or... No, probably not because the way it works in the USL is, you know, they're looking at young players that they can then sell into Europe. That's what they want. They want to make good youth players, sell them into Europe, even for a hundred K to fund them. Cause you don't get paid well in the USL, um, especially the USL two. It's, it's like a, a glorified Highland League type, you know, a couple of hundred fans, um, mm. but it's all youth type players. It's all players who are 18, 19. They decided not to go to college and they're going to try and get spotted that way. Yeah. Um, so, so moving on in terms of, um, obviously you went through that experience with um, your kidney and stuff. How, yeah. like what, what do you kind of remember about it and how, how hard was that um, to yeah, go Yeah, so... Even when I was at Keith, I used to throw up um, at halftime in every game. Never told anyone, never mentioned it to anyone. Used to just keep it to myself. Um, after training, I sometimes used to go to the toilets. Remember, we trained at Asda at Came Hill in Aberdeen, and I used to go to the toilets afterwards and throw up. Um, never told anyone, used to just keep it to myself. I thought I was just really unfit, and managers probably thought that as well. Um, and then during COVID, I thought I maybe had COVID, went to the doctor, found out my kidneys were gone and they put me straight onto dialysis. So I made the decision, me and my wife, and we had a one-year-old son now, to just come home to Aberdeen in the height of COVID, which was not easy. <laughs> mm, so how, how tough was that going through that situation? As yeah, it was, the current COVID kind of... Yeah, it was extremely tough because I was actually... We were training for... We were hoping our season was going to go ahead in America. So I did like a 5K on the Saturday and I think on the Tuesday I ended up in hospital and they were like, looked like you're lucky you didn't die because you're you're near it like you would just drop down levels and um, you've left this way too long you know you're you're too far gone that even they did a biopsy they take a slice of your kidney they open me up and there's nothing that they couldn't find anything because my kidneys were basically just shattered mm. there's nothing in them which is you know quite worrying so it's basically i was an end stage basically is how they say it so that if you didn't get dialysis within a year you're most likely going to die so how how did you how did you find dealing with that? Yeah, I think it? you know it was a crazy crazy thing that I went through. But I say one thing: it's completely changed my outlook on football and how much I love football now. Because I had 
three years, two years, two and a half years out of football where I was, you know, I was on dialysis. I was checking Highland League scores, even though it was during COVID. I was checking football scores. I was doing this. And then, yeah, I came home to Aberdeen. I wasn't working. And then I got in touch with Alan and I've asked if I could help out at Huntley. Yeah. So, like, looking back at that experience, how much has it made you kind of appreciate, like, everything? Um... Yeah, just, yeah, it, you're exactly that. It makes you, like, you have to deal with your own, you know, mortality to begin with, which is not easy at 29. Mm. Um, and then once I was kind of over that hump of, you know, right, I'm ill, I'm really ill, um, you know, I got came home and they tested my family to see if they were compatible for kidney donation. And I was just really, really lucky that, you know, like five people were a match for me. Mm. So I, I was just really lucky in some ways that I got sick, but then, you know, some people don't have any donors and they've got to wait till they get one off the list, which can be a few years. And I might not have had a few years. So, Yeah. And obviously your, your mum donated. Is, is that something you think about quite a, quite a lot, you know, still? Or... Yeah, of course. So it was just uh, on the 5th of May. So it was two years ago, not that long ago. Um, yeah, it's just nowadays. So like when I got the kidney transplant, you know, I asked my mom, you know, they, they advise you against contact sports. Um, I said to my mom, is it okay if I play? And um, she said that, like, that was one of the reasons she wanted to give me the kidney was because she wanted me to get back playing. She, what kind of life is it if you can't do the things that you love doing, you know? So, yeah, it kind of opened my eyes to a different way of, you know, that I wish I appreciated more when I was at Bank City, when I was, you know, a bit younger and I had a bad attitude towards football. I wish I just appreciated football and loved football a bit more then. And I might have made it to a better level. I might have done a little bit better in my career than I have done, you know. Still happy to have the career I've had, but I wish I'd maybe had that same love for football years gone by. Yeah. So you said in terms of coaching, was that always something you were kind of looking to? Yeah, even because, you know, as I said before, when I was a, even a youth player, I was the type of person that, you know, I was an annoying little kid. I try and take team talks. I would try and speak players through games. And uh, even now, I'm I'm playing now for Mod um, in the juniors. And even now, halfway through the game, some people have to tell me, "Listen, just shut up for a minute," because I am a type of person that, you know, probably similar to Alan in that way. I I see myself. I see all the problems that are going on the pitch. In my opinion, and I always try and correct them. Perfectionist in that matter. Yeah. Um. So in terms of your. Um, coaching badges and stuff. Yeah. Like how? Um, what was it like, kind of going through them, and and how's that been? Yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's difficult because, in my opinion, the coaching badges, most of them are are nonsense. Um, I, I really do think that they are, but I I agree that people have to go through them because then, if you're hiring a coach that you know nothing about, at least if he's got a basic form, at least you know he knows the sport. It's not a, a Ted Lasso situation or something crazy like that. Um. You know, at least you've got that. So I, I get why they do them, but sometimes there has to be a little bit of perception where, look, I played football for 15 years. I'm not saying that makes you a good coach because it doesn't, mm. but I at least know the basics that I don't need to start with the initial steps that everyone else does, maybe. Mm. Yeah, is it a bit of babying at the beginning? At the beginning, yeah, it really is. So I'm finishing my UEFA C in August, um, and then, yeah, take it from there. Yeah. Um. So how... In terms of you went and had a time at Turruff, how how was mm-hmm. how was that? Yeah, so I came back from my transplant, and you know I didn't really think of Turruff because I didn't know Dino that well. He was away from Keith before I went, but um, 
so I trained with Banks and E initially. Um, Jamie Watt asked me to go along. Things were going really well. And then they had a reasonably big squad and they signed um, Jamie Redmond, who was, you know, Peter Head captain at the time, going to Banks and E. It was like a big deal. Um, so I decided that, you know, I wasn't going to keep going with that because I wasn't going to play. I knew I wasn't going to play. And I was been out of football for three years. I was just dying to play. I then went along to Keith and Andy, uh, Andy Roddy and Tommy Wilson basically told me they, d- they didn't have the patience and that they were under a bit of pressure to, to help me through my recovery process and let me get fit. So I said, yeah, no problem at all. You know, I always felt like Keith was my club, you know, played 100 games there. I thought, Keith's my club. If anyone ever said to me, like, who's your team? I would probably say Keith because that's they were the ones who treated me the best. They were the ones who I always felt at home with. And even now, as at Hutchie's testimonial dinner, I see all the, you know, committee, the fans, whoever, you know, it feels like it's my club, you know. So I was very gutted about that, to be honest with you. And then uh, me and Dino followed each other on Twitter because we share coaching stuff on Twitter. And I just messaged him out of the blue. I said, hey, Dino, like, I know you've got a really young squad. Would you be looking for anyone to come along? And he messaged me back, like, literally about an hour later, saying, Scott, we've got a game away to Kerry Muir tomorrow. Do you want to play? <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. And um, I know that Rafa is originally from Kerry Muir. So I got down there, and Rafa's standing there and started speaking to Rafa. And um, I was like, here, all the best today, Rafa. And I said, what are you on about? I'm the assistant manager. I was like, where? He said, Turriff. I was like... I had no idea. I'd played centre mid with Rafa for like 50, 60 games. I had no idea he was even that tough. So I should have texted him originally. Um, but yeah, and I, I really loved it. I was playing well in the final preseason game. I was only like, say, 11 and a half, 12 stone at this point. So reasonably trim for me. Um, I was fit. And then the Wednesday night, we had the first game of the season on Saturday and I'd done my knee. And uh, it was just a, like a ligament strain. So it just went swollen. But. Yeah, I'm on like pretty much maxed out on steroids uh, for the rest of my life. Yeah. So like I'm puffy all the time. I gain weight very easy. And then I had six weeks where my knee was up. I wasn't allowed to run, wasn't allowed to do anything. And the weight just piled onto me through my fault as well. And uh, yeah, the rest of the season was just an uphill battle trying to get back in. I think November time I got back in and I was flying again. We played Forest up there. We're up one 0 till the last minute. I was played sixty minutes and I was fucked and I was played very well. And I was I remember afterwards I was like delighted beaming. We got a draw. Thought if we're going through a tough spell. And I was delighted. I just remember being like, Oh, I'm back, I'm back. I'll get this weight off, man, I'll be back. On the Monday night when a twenties came and Dino said to me, You're not playing because you'll be absolutely knackered. I said, No, I want to play now, I want to play, not want to play. So we played away at Stonehaven, two minutes in, tore my groin. Gone. Dino like Bright red, screaming at me like he's fuming. He's understanding, but for the rest of that season, I just I couldn't get going. I just uh, I I think I was out till end of January, and then I got COVID, and then it just my whole season was a write off uh, because it was my first season back. Really, it, I really struggled. And then yeah, so then I did preseason with them, but I decided you know myself that I didn't think I was going to fit enough to play Highland League anymore, which was a tough decision. I thought if I go and play juniors for a small while or even see what happens, then I'll play 90s and hopefully get myself fit. So that's what I've been doing. Yeah, so how have you found it at Mod? Really good. Uh, Boomer's the manager, Ryan Christie, Boomer. Yeah. Um, so, you know, everyone's terrified of him, which is, I think, <laughs> that's the way he likes it. He's, you know, 
he's a new manager, and having myself and a couple of other older lads, Matty McDonald's there, who was at Keith yeah. uh, with me, and you know, uh, older lads have helped him because Cummy's obviously left now. He's doing up his house, and he's got his brother in. But it's just been good to be back playing nineties every week. I do get frustrated and I get annoyed in training when things aren't, you know, people aren't passing the ball sharp, people aren't doing things sharp. I get frustrated and then I try have to put in a WhatsApp message after and apologise for losing the head at training and then I pay a five pound fine for apologising over WhatsApp and oh well. But I'm enjoying it. But you know, I keep needing to remind myself that you know I'm not better than them because this is the stage I'm at in my career. Some a lot of these players are better than me at mod right now because I'm not as sharp as I once was. And I think bringing myself back down to that makes me a better player. You know, we played Cooter a couple of weeks ago and I was basically just like a hatchet man. I was just going around, you know, kicking out and lumping up the park because Cooter, being honest, they're a better team than us. Mm. Um, they finished 40 points ahead of us, so I'll tell mm. you. And we held them up until the last five minutes of the game. So uh, I, I think once I've got that, you know, home truth from Boomer a few times, you know, uh, called me a fat so-and-so a few times, and I think it's really kicked me on to get going, so I'm excited to really get going with pre-season. Yeah, so what are your kind of hopes for the for the next season? I'm signed with Maud again. Uh, me and Boomer had an agreement that, you know, if a Highland League team came in, I would go. If a junior team came in, I wouldn't, because if I'm playing in juniors, I'm going to play for Boomer because I believe in him. But in the Highland League, you know, I obviously would hope that I could lose a bit of weight and go back Highland League. Um, a small injury there for a month or so but besides that I haven't had much injuries this year which has been good but I'd really need a good pre-season in my first and then take it from there um, our ideal with Maud is to hopefully we just missed out on relegation which is great for us we're hoping to try and climb into the you know that top six bracket next year because there's not that much points between the bottom half and the top half and the juniors yeah, is it quite a competitive league? Yeah, I mean, Ellen beat us 4-0, then we beat them 5-1 two weeks later. So it's that type of giving and going. You know, it depends on how it goes in the day. The players are good. And it turned out if I ran the under-20s uh, when we won the league. So I've got a few of those boys on loan at Mod with me. So now I'm playing with them and talking them through games rather than just coaching them. And uh, I really enjoy that side of it. So, yeah. So in terms of your coaching what are you doing with that um these days yeah so i think i've parked it for now but i think you know i want to get fit i want to play for boomer for the next season or two but then i think i'd probably like to you know once i'm i'll be i'm 31 so i'd probably like to see out my career when i'm finished in a, a player coach role somewhere um you know even if it's a four-year player yeah. coach where you're not playing every week but you're dipping in and out when the, when the team needs you and still training as long as the team's training in aberdeen that, that's the ideal way I see my career going because, you know, with my work commitments and other things like that, maybe I don't have enough for 30 games a season now and maybe I would get injured if I was playing twice, two games a week. I don't know. But I think that that's the kind of future plans that I would do that for a few years and then in my mid-30s either step into management or, or do what I need to do. Yeah, so um, in terms of the coaching badges, I'm always interested about this. Sure. You um, do it just online. Is there stuff you have to go away to? Yeah, can? certain ones you have to go away and do. Um, other ones are just online. There's like modules for it all. And then in August, I'll be completing my UEFA C where they'll give me a session to give. I have to come up with some drills and, you know, relay the session in person. It's in West Hill, which I've just moved to a month ago, which is handy. So me and Andy Watt, who's at Turriff, he's a full-time oh, yeah. coach day-to-day -day with kids. So Andy Watt's doing it, and I'm doing it together in August. Oh, that's good. Nice and handy. So yes, exactly. Don't have to go to Central Belt. Exactly. That's the key thing, because they're normally always in Glasgow. 
Yeah. Um, so a couple final questions. So sure. out of your career so far, who who do you think has been the best players you've played against and, and played with? Oh, yeah. I'm going to give a long-winded answer for these, but, you know, best players I've played with with, you know, three boys that played SPL, James Forrest, Ryan Jack, Aaron Taylor, Sinclair. Um, you know, more local level, like Highland League, I'd have to say probably Luke Barber was probably the best player that, that came while I was in Highland League. Jordan Layden had the highest potential. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Um, but Luke Barber, probably the best. I only played probably two weeks with Cammy Keith, so I'm not going to count him. Because I know Cami will be listening, and I'll be seeing him in a couple of weeks. So he'll be giving me an abuse if I don't pick him. Um, but I would probably say Luke because I played with him over a full season. Yeah. Um, so in terms of what has been kind of your main highlights so far, would you say? Yeah, I think. I mean, getting to Highland League Cup final with Bank City, devastated we got beat, but you know, beating the Highland League teams along the way, beating Aberdeen, who had a decent reserve team at the time, was was really good. And also, you know. The bus journeys with Keith that we had at the time, I think, you know, I was a young lad. We had a lot of guys who were 22, 23. They were going out all the time. But we actually ended up being one of the fitter teams in the league. We were, you know, we could see progress every season. And I think that's the main thing, right? Because Keith weren't going to turn overnight from finishing fifth bottom to winning the league. And my four years, I was there total, three and a half, really, seasons. We were progressing. Every six months, you could see that we were getting better. We weren't getting worse. We were getting better. At every stage, and I suppose that my biggest highlight. Yeah, I, I made great friends along the way. Two friends I met who were at Middlefield with me were my best men at my wedding. Um, you know, and even you know one of them played high in league. One of them plays for Airdrie now. So it, it's it's more the memories and the people that I met along the way. To be honest, would be my best. But my funniest memories, which I know you're going to ask. Yeah. Um, there's a few. The Eric Watson throwing the boot over the the fence. Good memory. But the other one is on the the old SHFL TV. Uh, Mike Rolton gets clattered from Cowie, who was playing for Vale at the time now, or just retired from Bucky. Rolton gets sent off. We don't know why. Coming at half-time, Rolton, fits going on. Didn't touch him. Nothing went on. We're like, forever, we've got to go back out. Coming after the game, we're still arguing about it. Rolton, fit went on. Nah, nah, nah. Him and Bell are naked. Start wrestling in the showers. Both of them rolling about the floor, like bollock naked, wrestling on the floor. And the rest of us, not even splitting up, just standing there like, aye, there's two bollock naked men rolling about a muddy changing room floor, scrapping. And they were the best of mates as well. And they were just scrapping on the floor. And it just doesn't happen now. So I feel like them stories are, are some of the, the best that, that you could get. Um, I'm trying to think of any other ones, but I think that's probably the, definitely one of the funniest ones, you know. Yeah, so what did he get sent off for? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, he kicked out at Cowie in the end. We've seen it back in the video. And he basically, Cowie fouled him. They're both in the deck. And I think Rolton kicked out him. And he got sent off. And it was on the TV. And then Rolton was like, that's not how I mind it. <laughs> but the one last one um, that everybody I've played with at Keith, and even the boys at, who were at Cove who played in that game still laugh about now. Um, Keith were going through a tough spell. And McBeath, when I first went there, I'd only been there probably four or five weeks at this point. And I got designated on penalty duty. Cover beating us 7-0. Davey Day's hat-trick in the Highland League, he was 16. Poor lad. And um, Jamie Lennox hat-trick, who's now Davey's coach at Turriff, which is an easy wind-up. But we got a penalty in the last minute of the game. Um, Stu McKenzie, who lived next to me in Cornhill, I've put it barring in, and I've celebrated. We're down 7-0. 
I've ran at the corner and knee slid. And the Cove boys who I see now still laugh about it. Um, and Keith boys, I just remember nobody came down celebrating with me because we're doing 7 0. Bob knee slid in the corner, my first goal for Keith. I'm buzzing for some reason, even though I've had a Holocaust. Scully's went by me 20 times on the wing. Mm. And I've celebrated like I've just won the league for some reason. And I still, to this day, I don't know what the hell went on in my brain. You know, I had a co season ticket as a kid. My uncle played for them, testimonial with them. So I felt like I scored at Allen Park. I was like buzzing a little bit. So I celebrated. But probably my funniest memory for, for me is that because I just don't know what the hell I was thinking. <laughs> you, you said you had a, a story about David um, Law, who was a golfer who. who um... Yeah. So yeah, David Law, I mean, he was great player, great player. And he um, he just had, you know, he had that natural ability on the ball. He was gifted on the ball. But you could see, probably similar to Luke Barber, he just didn't give a shit about football. Like, David was so laid back, you know, like, oh, you know, it's good weather. I'm not coming to training. I'm away golfing because golf was his number one priority. And I, I've got no doubt in my mind that Dave, you know, probably could have played at least Highland League because he was a very good player. But I think we got to under 15s when I went to sell. Like Dave finished out the season Albion and then just quit and went full time at the golf. And well, he just won two tournaments last year, so he'd be doing all right uh, for himself. So I'm sure he's not worried about the fifty pound a week Island League wages anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, last few questions. So, um, is there any kind of particular players at the moment that people should watch out for, either in the juniors or Highland League, like young players or or kind of yeah, think under the radar a bit. Yeah, there's, oh Jesus, there's a lot. There's a guy, uh, Dice, they signed him from Montrose, I believe. Uh, Sam Garnham, I believe his name is, plays on the wing. He's he's too good to be playing juniors. He's small, looks a bit young, but he's a good player. Um, and then in the Highland League, you've got some really good youth players at Turriff that, you know, some great youth set up. Um, you know, GT, uh, Graham Taylor, who's involved up there, um, in the youth setup, does an amazing job at picking out these players from all over Aberdeen that are good young players. I don't know where the hell he finds them. I don't know how many youth club games he goes to watch, but he finds these gems out of nowhere. And Turriff have got a really good youth setup, but probably their biggest problem is is that their first team are only 21, 22 years old. So for a 17-year-old at Turriff, when are you going to get your chance? Because the guys ahead of you aren't that old either. So, you know... They've got a good problem where they've got youth players that'll get sold into the juniors and they'll make money off them. Um, but to, to name a couple, Andy Watt's still young. You know, he's 22, 23. He's had a bad injury this last year. But he's the type of player I could see being a Highland League captain for three, 400 games. But the biggest one that stands out is Dylan Stewart. Dylan Stewart at Turriff's too. too he, you can see on the ball, you can see in turn, you can see in games. He's got that natural dig about him. But he, as far as I'm aware, I went to uh, last year trip away with Dill. I don't think he'd, he'd leave, unless he went to Celtic, because he's a mad Celtic fan. I don't think he'd leave Turner for any other team, League 2, anybody. I think he's a type, he's a local lad, he loves the club, but what a player. What a player. Thanks for listening to the Highland League podcast. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcast. It would be much appreciated and support the show. You can keep up to date with the podcast on her Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And to listen to more episodes, you can subscribe on Podbeam, iTunes, Spotify and any other podcasted platform that you 
use. Hope you can join me next time for another interesting interview.